This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey lovelies, and welcome back to Matcha Moments. This episode, we are joined by the one and only Matcha Queen, Jules, also known by the Instagram handle at Matcha Jules. This ended up being such an incredible chat about finding success through an unconventional path, overcoming the fear of failure, self-care, and of course, matcha. For a bit more background on Jules, she's the co-founder of Saints of Steel, a non-profit organization, as well as the brand manager of Jade Leaf Matcha. And we love how inspiring, honest, and authentic her content is, as she gracefully talks about her own mental struggles that she's had to face in her career. And not only is she an amazing online presence, she's also truly one of the most beautiful souls we have ever spoken to. Which is why this is actually part one of this conversation. We had the best time recording with Jules, so we actually ended up chatting for over two hours, which we didn't just want to cut down to one episode. So you can definitely look forward to part two next week, in which we discuss the topics of overcoming setbacks, imposter syndrome, and so much more. But for now, we hope you have a matcha or some sort of hot beverage ready and enjoy this episode. Can you just give us a quick intro for anybody who might not know you yet? Absolutely. Uh, My name is Jules Reyes. First and foremost, I am a woman of God. I'm most known for my love and passion for matcha. Uh, About five years ago, I created these community pages on Instagram called Matcha SF LA and NYC, and they served selfishly. (laughs) They were a bucket list for myself, and I didn't recognize that other people were having a similar experience um, because in San Francisco five years ago, the matcha scene was non-existent. Uh, We didn't have many places to get matcha, other matcha offerings outside of a latte. So I created this visual bucket list for myself and I recognized it was attracting people like me who loved matcha. So I created those. Those are currently inactive. Um, Other things I've done, I co-hosted the US's first matcha festival in San Francisco. I co-founded a- That's so cool. Yeah, it was really fun. That was- I forget the year. <laughs> it was it was a few years ago. I want to go. It was fun. I, I believe they still are having the events. I'm no longer co-hosting. But unfortunately, I think COVID has impacted some of their plans. Um, yeah. But it was fun to have a physical space where matcha lovers can come together and enjoy different types of matcha <laughs> and celebrate our you know local establishments here in San Francisco who have incredible matcha offerings. I also co-founded a 50C31, sorry, 501C3 <laughs> nonprofit called Saints of Steel. And what we do is we host makeover events for people in need. And I'm currently the brand manager of Jade Leaf Matcha. Not bad. <laughs> Quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It's, it's, 
there's been a lot of activity in the last five years. I love your um, the Saints of Steel. The whole like idea of it sounds so amazing. And I was because I was looking through your Instagram or, or their Instagram, and it's just such a nice idea. Like, I like how it's for such a good cause, and I feel like we need more people out there doing things for you know not selfish reasons and like just for the benefit of others that are in need. And um, yeah, so very very happy that like you're a part of that it's just so nice to hear thank you yeah we it's been amazing the people we've been able to connect with and you know we worked with primarily displaced communities you know youth experiencing and, and just people experiencing homelessness lgbtq youth survivors of abuse and the stories that we hear because we recognize that someone is sitting in a barber chair or getting a makeover Our hairstylists and our barbers have this magic about them where they're able to connect with people. There's a sense of safety someone feels when you're in a chair, right? I mean, I'm sure yeah. I, can, I can definitely relate to that when I get a haircut and I just open up to my hairstylist. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a bubble. Yes, yeah. And, you know, we wanted to create that experience for people who may not necessarily have those opportunities to connect with another person. And the stories that we've heard are so touching and inspirational and a lot are heartbreaking. But yeah. it's work that is completely gratifying and fulfilling to, to just put mm -hmm. some good energy out into the world. Yeah. And also yeah. it breaks that, like, I think it, it breaks the stigma that, you know, homeless people or people that are in need there's always that like generalization and like stereotypes of what type of people they are but when you actually take the time to sit down it you feel so bad that they're in that situation because it could have been you like it could have been me it, it could, it have could been be anyone. anybody yeah and it's not because they did something it's just and I guess that makes it so hard to think about because it's it sometimes it's something that's out of their control and it's like it just sucks <laughs> yeah it's it's really unfortunate that there's a, a huge stigma, at least in our society, where, you know, when someone crosses paths with another person experiencing homelessness, they might immediately mm -hmm. think they're a drug addict or an alcoholic, or they deserve to be in that situation. Yeah. Most of the time, it's, it's really heartbreaking where they were displaced because of a natural disaster, or they didn't have the resources or support of loved ones, um, mm -hmm. or they were you know, ostracized. And it's, yeah. it's really unfortunate, but I hope that work, because there are other organizations doing incredible work for these displaced communities as well that we've partnered with. And I hope that it peels back the layers for, for people who aren't in that situation to recognize, yeah, it could, it could be, I mean, I was living in my car at one point um, and it could be anybody you know and mm. yeah so thank you thank you for looking into the work <laughs> no it was I mean this is the most excited well I don't know if this is quite savage for saying but it was like the most excited I was to speak to like a guest on our show because what you do is so amazing and like I don't know it's I feel like it's an honor for us to get the chance to talk wow this is so cheesy but yeah it's an honor to get to speak I like to cheesy. you and like share your experiences and stories with everyone so thank you yeah. thank you I'm very, I'm very excited to be here and I'm honored that I get to share my story and just connect with two, you know, before this I prayed and I prayed for 
a beautiful moment and I was just grateful to have the opportunity to connect with the both of you and to share my story and hope that it touches someone who needs to hear something that we discussed today. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've listened yeah. to your other podcasts and I'm like, I needed to hear that about my own, like, you know, the, about my body image. I, I, I struggle with that today. Like even about like, what am I going to wear today? And, I'm, and I recognize it's a podcast. People are going to hear it. They're not going to necessarily see me. But it's something that you, yeah. you discuss topics that are not widely spoken about. And I admire the both of you for that. That means so much. Mm. <laughs> I feel like that was like the one thing that we wanted to do. We were like, okay, we don't really care how many people ever listen to this. But even if it just like reaches one person and they're like, oh, we relate to this. And... I don't know that that's kind of enough for us. It's so beautiful. You know, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks about um, one is greater than zero. And basically impacting one person is can do incredible things versus not doing the work. You know, the things that I do want to talk about are, you know, imposter syndrome. I could have at, at any point in the last five years given up because I was afraid or nervous or didn't have resources, but one is greater than zero. If you can touch one life, you did your job. And well, you touched mine already. Yes, <laughs> so, we can retire you. knowing that we did that. <laughs> That's it, right? <laughs> We're done. I think that is such a good outlook to have though. And I think it can be, I think so often it's easier to give up and not do the hard thing. And you've obviously, you know, persevered through all. So. I know, could you give us like a brief rundown through like your backstory and how you even got to this point where you are now? Yeah, um, so I was born and raised in San Francisco. I still currently reside in San Francisco. I attended school locally. So I went to community college and then studied at San Francisco State University. I actually never finished college. And for the longest time, this was a, a something I was very embarrassed about. I didn't want to acknowledge it. Anytime I had to fill out a resume, I was just like, why am I even applying for this job? I, I don't have the formal education. But, you know, I started in education. There were opportunities uh, in early childhood development uh, where I worked with students who were on the spectrum. And I got to do this for about three, I'm the worst with times and gauging time. So it was about three to four years and there were opportunities in, internally to progress within that career. So I thought when I graduated from high school, I was going to be a high school history teacher because I loved history. I admired a history teacher I had named Mrs. Gron who made me love history. You know, and when some people think about it, they're like, oh, it's boring. You know, like, why do I want to talk about what happened 50 years ago or, you know, 100 years ago, but it was something that I was so excited about connecting to our past mm -hmm. and wanting to reignite that similar passion for other people. But when I graduated from college, I wanted to take a year off. And with that year, I really just took some time to enjoy <laughs> not having to go to school and wake up early and yeah. trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I attended classes in between, but I recognized it necessarily wasn't for mm. me. But there was something internally that 
it, you could call it intuition, you could call it instinct, but there was something internally that, that let me know that I was gonna be okay. And I didn't quite understand it, when was that? It's 10 years ago. Um, but it made sense today because mm. <laughs> had I finished college and, you know, and, and I was on that pathway to becoming a history teacher, I would have I would still be doing that today because I, I would have committed the hours, the money, you know, college isn't cheap. I would have dedicated my life to that because I dedicated X amount of time to mm -hmm. becoming a history teacher. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, I, you know. I, I thought this was going to be my path and my, my partner at that time had this incredible career with a, a huge corporation and she decided to leave to start Saints of Steel. And when I, wow. yeah, and you know, at that time I was teaching and I thought, wow, you are going to leave your career. Your life was, from my perspective, is great. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. How, how, how could anyone want to leave comfort? But she left and she learned, uh, you know, how to start a nonprofit. She did so much work on the back end and I just admired her drive. And, mm -hmm. you know, as I, as I was in her life personally, I recognized, well, I have skill sets to help you. I love storytelling. I love photography, videography. Let me help mm -hmm. you. And we basically co-founded Saints of Steel together with both of our skill sets. And, you know, as I was helping her share these stories and work with the displaced communities, I looked internally and I thought, well, what's my thing? Mm -hmm. This is gratifying work. It's fulfilling. But I don't necessarily feel like this is my thing. Yeah. You know, there's something else. There's this driving force pulling me in another direction. And... I began interning with a, you know, someone who's now one of my best friends. Her name is Emmy Granis, and she's a local metalsmith here in San Francisco. I thought, well, I'm a creative. I love art. I want to figure out how to make jewelry. That'd be cool. And I just allowed myself to explore in those conversations with her and you know, my partner and friends. I recognized matcha was my thing. And there was one conversation in particular that really drove me to do something more than what I was doing other than having matcha every day. I attended a dinner with my partner and her colleague, and I wasn't supposed to be at this dinner. But, you know, her friend Mary was asking me questions about myself and what I was interested in, and matcha came up. <laughs> and I was just like, I love matcha. I, I, I want it all the time. You know, it's so hard to find matcha in San Francisco. And she looked at me and said, Jules, follow your matcha. Oh, that is a great line. Wow. <laughs> and it, it's something about her saying this to me it just clicked all of a sudden because people around me were saying, Jules, you have matcha all the time. You love it. You love talking about it. You light up when you talk about it. Do something with that. And I thought, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to start a matcha company. <laughs> not, I don't know what to do, but I saw a problem. I couldn't find matcha in San Francisco. So these pages, the SF page, LA and NYC page, all existed as albums in my phone. Wow. that I would use personally to find matcha. And I said, well, why don't I share these? 
Um, and it just took off from there. People were following and engaging with me and sharing their gratitude that this resource existed. Um, and it's, you know, as I was still teaching, working on Saints of Steel, and now building these pages, I continue to feel this pull in this direction mm -hmm. away from education. And, you know, knowing I didn't have a degree, I thought, well, what am I supposed to do? There isn't much I can do. I can't, I don't have formal education. And, and this negative self-talk started to come over me and doubt me. And I was, you know, basically sharing you can't do anything. You, you can't do anything else. You don't have the education. You're not worthy of anything great because you don't have blank. Fill in the blank of whatever I was telling myself. And despite that, I decided to you know, leave education. I, I resigned um, and be, became a barista. <laughs> I wow. said, well, I need to supplement my income somehow. Yeah. I then became a bartender. I missed the tips and I missed my <laughs> regulars because it was, no. you know, bartending and, and connecting with people. The tips were great. Um, but I needed something to supplement my income. I knew this wasn't going to be my thing. But thankfully, I had people around me who believed in me. You know, the, the um, owners of this cafe I was working for gave me this opportunity to, you know, help build their social presence on Instagram. And then I, be, I, you know, it opened up doors to work with other smaller businesses in San Francisco. I was basically a contractor for social media management. And that's how I connected with the co-founders of Jade Leaf was through what I've done previously. Um, so that's a little, well, not a little, <laughs> but <laughs> that was in a nutshell, um, basically summarizing my last five years <laughs> I think your story is so inspiring because it just shows that you know you don't have to go down like the traditional route and I think for so many people university or college just isn't the right path and yeah. I think so many people probably just go to university or study something because they think it's what they're meant to do to have a successful life and I think your story just just shows that that's not the only way or it's probably quite often not the way that you're gonna find the thing that you're truly passionate about yeah, because also most of the time experience and passion means so much more than going to uni and sitting in lectures for th for three years. Like Exactly. I think, well, at least for me, because I've, I've started working part-time part and I honestly feel like I've learned more working part-time now than I did at uni. And I think it, like, it just sucks that it's become such a, a requirement that, you know, just to get you through the door, you need a piece of paper that says you sat in lectures for three years. If you have a passion for something and you have supportive people around you that push you to do what you want to do and you have a strive to to do things that give you that self-fulfillment and can help you sleep at night knowing that that's what you want to do and that that's what motivates you to wake up, then, like, fuck what everyone else thinks because... <laughs> and, like, fuck, fuck going to uni and fuck going to college yeah. because it's your life. Like, at the end of the day, you're, like... The only person you need to make happy is you. So, like, it's amazing to see that you went away from that, like, history path just because, like, growing up you thought that was the right thing and, like, you thought that was your path. But I think it, well, what's amazing about you is that you made that step to be like, wait, actually, let me step back because I think that's something that people 
don't do and they'll it'll always mm. be a thought at the back of their head and they'll be 30 years into a corporate job and they're like what if yeah. i actually did my passion yeah what, what if, if i actually took that mm. risk and did what i loved and i think maybe that's why a lot of people nowadays um I think well with like TikTok and stuff at least I I see so many inspirational people being like if you don't want to work a typical 9 to 5 day job and like you don't want to work for someone else then just do it because you can do it like everyone can do it if they just put their mind and soul and energy into exactly. it Exactly. Yeah, I I I definitely took an unconventional path because you know I'm my background is Asian and my entire immediate family all work in the medical industry. and my parents wanted this for me. They wanted me to become a nurse. <laughs> yes. We can relate on this. I mean, they didn't want me to be doctors, but there's like that, you know, you're either an engineer or a doctor or um a scientist yes. or you know, when I said I was going to do marketing, they were like, "What's more? Are you going to color uni?" Okay. Like, <laughs> right? Because you know, my parents um I I've never actually said this to them. out loud um because communication mm-hmm. wasn't something that we did. Um I remember times when I was a kid my parents wouldn't necessarily ask me how my day was, whether it was a good day or a bad day and I would just kind of internalize everything, but I've never told them that I admire their tenacity. I learned from watching them because they they're immigrants. They uh immigrated to the United States, you know, 25 30 years ago I don't even know but my mom when she came here um her first job was at McDonald's and she was pregnant with my sister in a very unhealthy relationship with her previous husband that was abusive and despite that she trucked on she hardly spoke any English she was making I think 2 or 3 dollars an hour Um my parents, you know, when I was a kid, they worked at this company where they were fulfilling uh in jewelry for companies like Sears and JCPenney and I remember they would come home with these boxes of jewelry that they would have to affix to those, you know, like earring cards. They would be attached they they were doing this work and getting paid $4 an hour. But I saw through the work that they did, their hard work and determination to provide for three girls. And I you know I've never told them that I'm proud of them because despite not having the resources the education basically things that I feel about myself they didn't have that too but they made it through they've raised three children they are working in the medical industry now and you know they took an unconventional path because they should have stayed in the Philippines and you know my life would look very different today um but In terms of my path, it was definitely unconventional and uncomfortable. And I think many people when we get in our own way and we start to doubt ourselves, we begin to think about things that we don't have. It always comes from a place of lack. I don't have education, I don't have the formal, I don't have the formal education, I don't have the resources, I don't have the experiences. I wasn't born into money. These are all the things I thought that I thought were stacked against me. it it definitely made walking this path a lot more difficult because i made it difficult i got in my own way but when i recognized no i have these other skill sets that have been ingrained in me since i was a kid i was a kid at school 
who would call out my teachers. I was that kid who was organizing protests. I was that kid who was protesting against something. I, there was just this, this drive to want to shed light on things that people weren't talking about, whether it was animal rights or, you know, I think a lot of people in high school remember me as that person with like <laughs> these, these uh, petitions. Hey, can you sign with this petition to save these? <laughs> like, that was me collecting money for. <laughs> and Aww. I definitely, when I look back, I'm like, wow. I'm still very much that that uh, that person who is outspoken and forthright, and I will have the difficult conversations with people to fight for what I believe in. And I had to then recognize, Jules, you have to do that for yourself because you're right, you don't have these resources, but if you keep telling yourself this story, you're gonna stay down here. You're never gonna achieve anything great. You're never gonna max out your life because you don't believe in yourself. And I think equally, you have to surround yourself with people who believe in you too because it's a part of the equation. If I believe in myself, but my family and my friends and my loved ones were saying, that's a stupid idea. There's no way you can do that. How? you begin to mm. believe these doubts. And well, you kick yourself while you're down and now you've placed the ceiling above yeah. your own head. And I'm thankful that the people around me, my family, although they didn't necessarily understand in the beginning, I think they understand now because they see me doing what I'm doing. They're like, oh, I get it. I get why you, basically worked my ass off and and to the the point of sleep deprivation and you know worked into the night most for a a number of years to sit where I am today to work in an industry that I love Um, and not to say that it's any easier today but I wouldn't have it any other way I, I I can't imagine working in an industry outside of the tea or matcha industry um and it it it's so important to surround yourself with people who champion for you, who believe in you, because I, you know, in terms of my experience with imposter syndrome, I mentioned to you earlier, it happened last night. (laughs) I I was thinking, why would anyone want to hear my journey? Why would anyone want to, to listen to what I have to say? This is ridiculous, Jules. Like, you haven't achieved anything yet. And, you know, like literally I'm in laying in bed thinking this and, 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 you know, like, how do I, should I come up with a lie to cancel this interview because I'm nervous and I'm scared, (laughs) right? Like, that's the truth. I, I was crying and had to pray so hard last night and in moments where I don't know what to do, I think of Proverbs 3, 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, you know seek his will in all you do and he'll show you which path to take and i thought i just prayed i'm like what should i do and i started thinking of things that like i wanted to convey and and connect with the both of you on and i'm thankful (laughs) for working through that no we're so thankful you're here thank you yeah Honestly, though, like the the 30 minutes we've just been speaking now, I already feel like oh, I want to figure out what makes me happy in life and do it. Like it's just just this conversation has made I mean, it's impacted me. So, no, like thanks for not backing out and and like pushing through. Um, there's this quote I heard the other day and I don't know if it is relatable, but like at least you saying all this, it made me just think of it. And it's just um, like 
what what you do might seem scary mm-hmm. and it and it will always be scary but what changes like it it never it never doesn't become scary what happens is you get comfortable with what's scary yeah and i think that's such an i, I probably said that so wrong <laughs> but it's that it's it'll always be scary yeah it'll always be a scary thing that doesn't change it's just that you will eventually become comfortable with what's scary and i think that's what we need like we need to push ourselves i love that yeah leaning into the fear and one of my mantras that i i recall often is um feel the fear do it anyways and i first heard this from my high school drama instructor who is this very tiny man and i was just like wow because <laughs> i'm a you know like we were all <laughs> discussing like we're all pretty petite <laughs> we're all short. you know and i was like ooh, Yay. petite yeah. girl gang <laughs> love it and you I know <laughs> my height too has been an insecurity i'm like i'm this you know when people meet me in person like oh you're much shorter than i thought as if that's supposed to be a bad thing yeah i've had that too right and if anything it's like Ooh, just wait till you like see me do what I'm doing and you'll recognize like mm. we come full force. I'm tiny, but yeah. <laughs> we're mighty. <laughs> we're scary. <laughs> we can be, you know, there's a lot of passion built into a tiny frame. It's all just compact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compact, fun size. And um, the fear I think is so important and I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, we get in our own way. Obviously, I think a human... A fundamental need of human is a sense of safety, whether it's safety in resources, it could be money, it could be safety in familiarity, uh, what's predictable. And I think oftentimes people lean into the safety because they are afraid to step out into the, they're out of their comfort zone to explore what Mm. could be. And you see people in relationships they shouldn't be in or not pursuing someone that they feel a connection to because, well, in their mind, this is not the person that I thought, you know, they don't fit the bill. This is not the the ideal. I've had people say that to me. You know, I look the way that I look. I am a woman of color. I have visible tattoos. And, you know, I've had people tell me, well, I'll date you, but I I wouldn't marry you. And I think, wow, you know, like, that's what, such a close-minded point of view. As very, well. very. And at the, you know, I used to think there was something wrong with me. And when you lean into the fear of what you're experiencing, you really get to know yourself. You really get to know what you're made of. And I think people really admire and respect that in the long run. It doesn't necessarily feel like that when you're in the midst of all of the chaos and the uncertainty But Mm -hmm. I remember a time where so many moments in my life where I was I didn't know how to do something. I didn't know, you know, even today as I'm a brand manager for this incredible company that I love, I didn't know how to market. Right. And I kept telling myself that the day leading up to I was supposed to fly out to Portland to meet with both of the co-founders. And I was unraveling the night before. Similar to last night when I was just like, oh gosh, why do, why do they want to talk to me? <laughs> and I thought, why, why would they want to hire me? Why would they want to hire someone who didn't graduate from college, who doesn't have the formal experience? And I, I continued to tell myself this and I wanted to cancel my flight and say, you know what? 
this isn't for me. Despite the fact that this is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, the door was open. I just had to walk through it. And Sometimes it's easier for you to to take yourself out of the situation yes. than, to, for, than for someone to tell you that you weren't good. Yeah. No, one, no one told me I wasn't good enough. It was... That's just the rejection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a protective layer, right? That we... And it's a ceiling we put over our own heads. And I... This is a moment I talked to... You know, I was... I had a conversation with our CEO about a week ago or, or two weeks ago. Again, I'm terrible <laughs> with time. Um, and basically shared this moment like I I'm so I've you know there are moments where I'm just so proud of myself because I did it and I didn't have the skill sets but I learned and I learned from people around me the people around me were my university the mentors from afar on YouTube were my my instructors and I thought well I don't know how to I'm not an an, an analytical person (laughs) I'm not a numbers person and I thought, well, how can I learn this? Because I, I, I need these skills. So I think if people, despite whatever fear they might be experiencing, it's valid. I want people to know that fear is so valid and I get it. You might be scared because of whatever reason you're telling yourself, but there's always an option to experience something different. There's always more right outside of your yeah. fear bubble. And you just have to take that step. And it might require a lot of vulnerability to say, hey, I don't know how to do something. Can you teach me? Can I intern for you? Can, you know, can I take these courses because I need these skill sets? But it it really like you, this is the moment where you hold the mirror up to yourself and share, I am not this, but that doesn't define me. I am not data driven, but that doesn't mean that I can't be. And I'm blown away by the things that I've learned, you know, and it, it, you really add these skill sets to your arsenal. You're like, great. It adds more to the, your value as a person, because now I know how to do these things when I didn't before. And it really makes things that seem scary achievable. Because now I'm like, well, if I'm scared about something, I've seen what I've done in the past. You can do it, Jules. You just have to commit yourself. I think it's interesting because we were talking about people who like go off the beaten path and for example what you were talking about you know your partner who quit their corporate job to start this non-profit organization I think quite often people can look at that and maybe talk negatively about it but I think that comes from like a place of jealousy because I think often people maybe feel like oh you know they wouldn't have the courage to do something which is why I think lots of times or even people, yeah, I think so many now successful people who've like started their YouTube channels or something. I know that they often talk about, you know, being bullied in high school, or getting a lot of criticism from people when they first start. And I think it is often just because people don't feel like they would have the courage to do that themselves. And, you know, people love to, to drag other people down. Exactly. Hurt people hurt people. And, yeah. you know, Jazz... Um, still one of my favorite humans and one of my best friends and very much a part of my life. She reminds me often that things are categorized in two buckets, pain or pleasure. And in any decision we make, it either brings pain where it's, you know, sadness, depression, I'm uncomfortable or pleasure, gratification, fulfillment. And it's something that, you know, when I see my life, 
and the people in my life. I want so much more for them. I want, you know, I, I work my ass off, not for me, but for my future children, because I want to be the testament to them. I don't know, you know, what they're going to do with their lives, but I want them to know that they have a mom who supports them, a mom who yeah. felt the fear and did it anyways, and put myself in an uncomfortable conversation because I, or conversations, situations, everything, yeah. because I didn't want to settle because I want more for them. And I think people, you know, when I see my sisters and, and my family, and I could, I could tell that they aren't necessarily happy or completely fulfilled in what they do, but I can't want, despite the fact that I wouldn't want them to settle and I want so much more, I can't do that for them, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing when you see someone who has this courage, all of these people, Jazz, the people in my life who, you know, my friend Emmy, who started her own career and it's, she's so successful and also such a great human being, there are these commonalities. Amazing humans who have drive and apply themselves, achieve great things. And it's, it's so mind-blowing to see that replicated in these people in my life where I'm like, wow, like I learn from watching them and their courage has created courage within myself. And it's, it's, I, I don't really know where I'm going with that. <laughs> but no, it's... No, but I, I know what you mean, yeah. And I definitely feel that as well with, like, my friends around me. I'm so often, like, inspired by what people do. And, you know, I think people on the everyday show you what's possible. Like, I have that a lot of the time when I hear my, my parents speak about their story or my grandparents and my family's uh, German-Jewish. So, obviously, we have a lot of pain in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what's come out of that is obviously our family and everything that my ancestors have achieved. And I just think, you know, that thing goes on to inspire more people and everybody that, you know, you in turn touch with your story, it then has like a, a positive, like, butterfly effect that leads on. Oh, absolutely. Wow, that's, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. like the the topic of matcha how did like your love of matcha and your connection to it even come about so I've been a tea lover since I was a kid and you know being Asian tea is a big part of our culture my I remember watching my parents drink tea all the time in the morning at night and my favorite memory first memories of tea is how excited I would get when we would go to a Chinese restaurant because they serve you tea and and I got to drink it <laughs> because my parents they, they would always enjoy green tea at night and we know green tea has caffeine so I didn't I didn't know that then but I would ask for some green tea and they would never give it to me and I'm just like why like you're drinking it why can't I drink it it was you know nine o'clock I'm supposed to go to bed for school and I you know being creative <laughs> I found a a workaround where I said, hey, I basically offered to make their tea every night. I said, I'll make your tea for you. You guys are working. So I was involved, but then before I served them, I would sneak a few sips. Ooh, sneaky. (laughs) 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 Um, 
And, you know, they never, I don't think they ever recognize that, but I've always loved tea and that's something, you know, in high school, I connected with one of my Spanish teachers who was like a second father to me. And he was the first person who taught me about water temperature and how it affects your tea. So I was, I had my thermos and I had a tea bag in there and he asked me to pour some out and he called me Julieta. He's like, Julieta, your, your tea is burned. You burned your tea. It's not supposed to be that color. I said, what are you talking about? And he had a temperature gauge tea kettle and was showing me how to properly brew tea. And I was amazed and that changed my life um, in terms of how I experienced tea. And years later, my older sister, knowing I love green tea, gave me this, what was it? It was a blend of loose leaf green tea with matcha powder. And it was my first experience with vibrant green tea. Cause prior to that I was drinking like Lipton or, you know, it was <laughs> lo- much, I love oh, I'm not, no, no, I don't mean anything's wrong with Lipton, but in terms of like the quality of tea, right? It's um, yeah. for usually it's a big difference for tea, tea bags usually are made of uh, lower quality tea leaves. Um, and I think our, you know, in our society, people view tea as something is, you know, you have these loose leaf tea leaves, you just pour boiling water over it and you're done. You can drink it, but we know it's so much more involved. Um, and there's a rich history behind it now that I know now. And, um, when I had this tea that my sister gave me, it opened up my world and I started craving matcha in everything. It was, it was so bad. It was like, I was a matcha monster. I'm like, I need matcha now. I want matcha in this. And it's very much like people make fun of me. And they're like, you're like the, the, the Bubba Gump of, you know, like matcha is like your, your shrimp. <laughs> I want matcha this and that. And I want to put matcha. Matcha is so integrated in my life today, but it started with my love for tea as a kid and it's continued on. And it's something that I look forward to every day. Um, and it's healthy for you. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I would say it's an addiction. It's a a good addiction to have, I think. Yeah. (laughs) I completely relate to that as well. I think I've got the addiction from my mom because we've always grown up with drinking green tea as well. And I, I'm sure I drink at least like seven cups of tea of green tea a day. It's probably not healthy either in that amount. I remember we also, because there's one tea, um, I don't know what you call it in, I only know the German word for where they grow the tea leaves. Um, And we visited the one place where they do it in Europe. It's on like the Azores Islands in Portugal. And it was such an incredible experience to actually see, you know, where they make the tea and then like drink the teas like fresh from them getting pressed and dried and seeing everybody work. And it was like a very, it was quite like a small a smaller factory um and yeah so i i love tea i think it's so special and like bringing people together as well yeah i love how it is like a, a history thing as well like or like mm. a childhood thing because even like me growing up in jordan and abu dhabi tea is like a big part of just hang like socializing well i know yeah. like in germany it's about drinking beer but <laughs> in um <laughs> in jordan and abu dhabi like tea is the main thing and like um we do this trip where we go like to the middle of the desert um and we we meet like 
real Bedouins that's, that literally live in the desert. And they always make tea, like, for the tourists and people that come. And it's such a nice That's experience. so beautiful. But we have, like, um, black tea with... And we put, like, real mint leaves in it. And it makes it taste mm. so good. Um, but it's just something so nice being like, this is tea made by the Bedouins. <laughs> it's like... I don't know, it's something nice to talk about with people and like getting them to experience it because you sit in like the tents and stuff and it just becomes, I think it's more the experience of the tea as well than just the tea, which is like why at least tea means something to me. I love that we're just a group of petite, badass women (laughs) who love tea. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's beautiful. And you know, that reminds me of my time in Japan when we, you know, the Jade Leaf team went to um, out to Japan last year for Ichibansha, which is the first harvest. And that usually this is the time where um, tea farmers and producers are harvesting the younger leaves for ceremonial grade matcha or gyukuro. And um, it was beautiful to experience the hospitality um, and receive so every meeting we had we were served a cup of green tea that they just harvested and produced and processed and it's this beautiful gift of servitude so when i think of tea and anytime i have a cup of tea it's not just tea right it's that experience you had in the desert like this someone made this for me they took time out of their day to make me a cup of tea. And it creates this beautiful bond between people. I, I like to think matcha and green tea or any, you know, food in general connects people. I think that's how we connected. Yeah. yeah. Over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's just so beautiful to be on the receiving end of someone else's graciousness um, to, to, to do something outside of yourself, even if it's preparing a cup of tea. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful to to receive, yeah. right? Whether it's receiving compliments and that could be very difficult, but it's, it's knowing like I, I am worthy, you know, like I, I deserve this cup of tea. Yeah. I, I deserve these compliments or anyways. It doesn't even have to be an here. external thing as well though, because even for me, um, me like taking those five minutes to make a matcha, which it takes more effort than just a normal cup of tea. I enjoy, cause I'm like, okay, I worked hard today or this is yeah. my time to go down froth the milk you know like stir it and, or whisk it um and at least for me I'm like okay this is just my time to treat myself because I deserve it like it's my yes. way of treating myself for the day I guess so yeah yes. you don't need to it's not only like an act of giving but it, it's also like self-giving which is really important as well I think self-love self-love yeah that's a common theme in our Instagram if you you haven't noticed I love that I love that it definitely resonates because I think people it could be viewed as selfish giving to yourself doing something for yourself can be viewed as selfish and self-serving but you know when I think about my time in my career and doing some, and just who I am as a person, I, you know, my love, my primary love languages are receiving gifts and acts of service. And for the longest time, my value was tied into what I would do for others. And so this kind of ties back into, um, you know, my matcha pages, not having the background, not having the formal education, my value was very much these pages. Cause then I had nothing else to show for who I am, what I could do, yeah. um, my, my skill set. And I continue to give so much of myself to the point of complete burnout. 
and you know then comes the depression and and you know the imposter syndrome and self-doubt and all of these other things but giving to yourself right self whether it's giving yourself that moment that you you shared this is my five minutes to just pause and be and enjoy something that fills me with so much joy or this is you know giving to yourself could be giving yourself boundaries I, I, I am deserving and worthy of boundaries. I deserve my time. I'm worthy of my time. I'm worthy of this, this self-respect because it could be hard to view self-care in that way. It could, you know, I've experienced various, I've been on one end of the spectrum where like I just didn't do anything for myself mm-hmm. and I was constantly giving to others, doing things, you know, for free, you know, in terms of imposter syndrome, I think many people who are creatives who are doing something that they and, and taking that unconventional path may experience this level of imposter syndrome where it's like, well, I shouldn't, I can't charge for this service because, well, I, I don't really have it's, I, I don't have anything in my resume to show, show for it. So I'll do it for free. You don't have to pay me. Or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever dialogue they're having with themselves and, but setting these boundaries and sharing, like, I, I do deserve to get paid because on the back end, I did countless hours of, of educating myself, of resourcing myself to do this service, and I'm talented. Yeah. I'm worthy of that. And so it's, it's beautiful. When I think of, like, self-care, it's, it's, it's tied into the boundaries, too. It's this bubble to, to pour into yourself, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I think self-care or self-love, whatever you want to call it, is actually the opposite of selfish because I know there's this saying, which is like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And for me personally, I've noticed so much that the more I've become like grounded and like true to myself and I know, feel like I've, like this is a cheesy expression, but like found myself more, I feel like I'm now treating people better and with yeah. more kindness because I think if you aren't treating yourself properly, I think you're often not able to give like your full capacity of love to other people either. Yeah. Because if you're you're negative from within, (laughs) yeah, preach, preach, preach. (laughs) If you're negative from within, like if your inner aura is um, negative, your outer aura is also going to be negative. So like you're, at least, at least for me, I feel like I'm, if I take that time, if I'm like, let's say I'm stressed out and if I take that time to be like, okay, no, fix yourself whether it's like journaling which I've recently gotten into or yeah Leo (laughs) or or like reading because like that I mean at least today I was really Mm -hmm. like upset and stressed and I think I gave that aura out where I was just quiet to everyone else today but then Mm. I took out I think just 30 minutes to read to myself which helped that that was like my method of self-care today and then um just having that time then I think I was just nicer to everyone around me.